All right, church fam, you can find your seats. Hey, we've, uh, we've still got some folks that are looking for a place to sit, uh, which is a great problem to have, but a problem nonetheless. So if you've got some seats next to you, uh, kind of in the middle, if you wouldn't mind squishing in just a little bit and uh, opening up some seats on the aisles for folks that are still looking for uh, some chairs, that would be great. Uh, my name is Brad McMahon. I'm the lead pastor here at Adventure. Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the kids did awesome, but I just got to say, it's a different perspective kind of watching the kids from the back. The kids were amazing at doing the motions, but I think the cutest part was watching Jake Llewellyn do the motions, right? Former, former UK football player knew every motion to the song this morning. So next year, Jake, you're up here, all right? Yeah, so we'll, we'll know that that was the best. It was awesome. Just, he was doing this and like the rain. It was, it was amazing. Uh, that was fantastic. Hey, I'm going to pray for us this morning, and we are going to dive right in. Jesus, we, today, we worship you and we praise you uh, because you make everything uh, that we are going to talk about today, everything that we're going to unpack today, uh, you make it all possible. Uh, the life that you lived was a life of service. You did not come to be served, but to serve us. You were willing to take on the lowest uh, rank, the posture of the lowest ranked servant in the house to wash feet, uh, to heal sickness, um, to, to hang out with and associate with people that nobody would hang out with because that's who you're after. You're not after the best of the best. Those of us that look like or try to, try to put on this thing that we've got it all together, Lord, you're after those of us who are hurt and broken and everybody in between. And so, Jesus, today, the fact that, like Matt just said, that tomb is empty makes everything possible. So Jesus, today, as we dive into your word, as we read your story, the story of Easter, I pray, Lord, that your spirit, which we know is in this place, would meet with us, uh, that would lead us into, into a new relationship with you today, that today would not just be another day on the calendar, another Easter Sunday, but it, today would be a different day. Why? Because we have the opportunity to meet face-to-face with the risen king of the universe. So Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Everybody said... Amen. So I'm going to start today by, by asking a question that probably is not going to get asked in most churches this morning, and that's this. What difference does Easter make in our lives? As I was thinking about this week and kind of preparing for this, I just started to ask myself that question. Like, what difference does Easter make? Like, why does Easter matter? Because at the end of the day, I mean, really, it can, you can think of it as just another Sunday. It's, like it's, the, it's another end of another weekend. And maybe, yeah, today you get up a little earlier than normal, and maybe you actually put on pants, right? A magic bunny lays eggs full of candy for your kids, and you come to church where you sit through somebody like me, give a talk about Jesus, and then you leave church and you go have brunch with your grandma, right? That's just what you do. And every so often, right, every so often as we are today, we are blessed with Championship Sunday at the Masters, right? It's a tradition unlike any other. In our immediate future, right, we're thinking about the nap that we might get on the couch while we know our kids are going to be bouncing off the walls because they're cracked out on Sour Patch Kids. But tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be another Monday. And the expectation for many of us is this, that life's just going to kind of continue to follow the same pattern and the rhythm that it always has. Easter's just kind of a blip on the radar. It's another day. And so I think it's a fair question to ask. I think it's a fair question for us to think through this morning, and that's this, what difference does Easter really make in our lives? Can a day on the calendar fix my marriage? Can a day on the calendar pay my bills? Can it help me deal with debt, the debt that's piling up, the fact that we just can't seem to catch up, right? I can't, I can't seem to pay down bills before the next one comes. Can, can a day on the calendar fix that? 
Can, can the day on a calendar fix and, and help me deal with, like, the, the cultural and political and, like, societal insecurity that I feel? Like, the thought in the back of my mind that says, like, anything and everything in my life could come crashing down at any minute. When it comes to the real stuff that we face in our lives, the question is this. What difference? What difference can Easter make? And those are real questions. And I don't know about you, but for me, I ask those questions a lot. I ask the questions like, what difference is this going to make? What difference is this going to make when it comes to the problems that I face that are going to be here tomorrow the same way that they're here today? What difference is it going to make? And so they're real questions, and they deserve real answers. And so here's how I want to answer those questions today. One of the things that we like to say here at Adventure a lot is that the Bible people are just people. See, a lot of times we think when we read the Bible or, if, or if we hear Bible stories, it's like the things that happen to people in the Bible and the things that they're able to do or like the, the reason that, that good things happen to them or the reason that things work out for them is because, well, they're in the Bible and they're special. There's something special about them that maybe is not as special about us. And so the things that happen to them, like that's for them, not for me. And the truth and the reality is this, Bible people are just people. They're just like us. They doubt, they fear, they wrestle with, can I believe this? They ask the same kinds of questions we do. What difference is this going to make? And so what I want to do today is a little bit different. I want to introduce us to three different people in the Bible that are just like us. That if we could kind of see their eyes, if we could look into their eyes, it would be like looking into a reflection of our own. And we know what that's like, right? It kind of takes one to know one. Like if somebody walks in the room and, and you know because you've looked at your own reflection and you can see yourself through your own eyes, you know what's behind those eyes, right? You know that the life that you live, the things that you deal with, the, the, the struggles that you have, you know what's behind those eyes. And when you see somebody else that has eyes like yours, it takes one to know one. We see life through their eyes because their eyes look like ours. And there are these people, three people in, in Scripture that we're going to look at today, they're asking the same kind of questions that we're asking. What difference does Easter make in my life? And they had every reason to think, like we do, that the same cycles of sadness and loneliness and depression and anxiety and worry and doubt and fear were just going to pick up where they left off come Monday when it's time to face reality. And so her name was Mary. And when you see Mary's eyes, Mary's eyes are the kind of eyes that, that either they've just been crying or they're just one moment away from, from crying more, right? It's like the, those eyes that are const constantly a little swollen, a little red, a little, a little raw because they've, been, they've had tears wiped away from them constantly. And Mary was from a place called Magdala. And before she met Jesus, she was in this situation that you could only describe it as hopeless, the Bible tells us that, that Mary was possessed with seven evil spirits. And the common practice back in this day and age when it came to dealing with people like Mary who suffered with unexplainable and untreatable physical sickness or, or mental illness or spiritual conditions, the way that they dealt with that was just to kind of cast them out, to dump them in places far away from people. Why? Because we don't know how to deal with this mess and, and we don't want this mess to, to, to latch onto us. We just dump them out somewhere by themselves, and we'll leave them on their own to, to suffer and die. And hopefully that comes quicker, like sooner rather than later. And so for, for someone like Mary, it meant that not only was she spiritually and mentally and physically sick and suffering, she was also completely and utterly alone. And I'm guessing that some of us in the room have felt that before. One author says this, the abject misery that Mary would have suffered in her spiritual condition would have been unimaginable. To be in her situation would have been living as close to hopelessness as one could get. 
And like many of us, when we see those eyes, we recognize those eyes because they're ours. And we know this, you know, it's not her fault. Just like us, Mary didn't want this. She didn't ask for this. And yet, hopelessness was all she knew, right? It's the kind of thing that, that we know, hopelessness like that begins to define your life until... Jesus comes along and rescues her from a hopeless situation. Now, now, prior to meeting Jesus, Mary's life was pretty much a lost cause. No one wanted to deal with her, but Jesus changed that. Jesus gave her a reason to hope. Now, fast forward from the moment that they meet, uh, about a year and a half or so later, and we find Mary standing in a crowd outside of Jerusalem on a Friday, hardly able to believe what her eyes are now seeing. While most of Jesus' followers were hiding out in fear, she stood among a crowd of people that cried out, crucify him. And Mary watched Jesus, who was her hope bringer. Mary watched Jesus, who was her rescuer. She watched him hang on a cross. And she had to be thinking to herself, right, like at any minute, at any minute, he's going to stop this. Like at any minute, he's going like to show them who, who he really is, right? And, and she's sitting there thinking, I have to, be, I have to believe she's going, like, all right, right, Jesus, whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready, Jesus. Like any time, any moment, Jesus, any, any second now, Jesus, do your thing. You ever prayed that? I have. There's moments in my life I know that I've prayed, like, all right, Jesus, at any point, you want to change this situation. At any point, you want to show up and do the things that you can do, now would be a good time, Jesus. Let's do it, right? At any moment, Jesus, any time you're ready, now would be a good time. But for Mary, that moment never came. Instead, she watched Jesus die. And then she watched them wrap up his lifeless body and put him in a tomb. And then she watched them roll a boulder in front of that entrance and then chain it shut and put two military-armed guards in front of it. Those tapes, right, the tapes that we know, the tapes of hopelessness start to play again in her mind. And my guess is you know what those tapes sound like. There's no way out. Right, the, the, the treatment that they said would work didn't. That, that person that you were counting on to come through for you, the one that, that you needed to show up, the one that was going to fix your life, they stopped returning your calls. They're not texting you back anymore. And we start to think to ourselves in moments like this, this is hopeless. And for Mary, Saturday comes and goes, and it's silent. And again, a lot of us in this room know what that feels like. Nothing happens. And then Sunday comes. And Mary heads back to this tomb, right, early in the morning where they, she saw, they saw, she watched as they put Jesus in this kind of hole in a rock face. And then rolled a boulder over it and put a military guard. She, she goes back to this same place. This place that was unimaginable. I can't, I can't even fathom. Again, how, how is this happening? And maybe like many of us, she was looking for some closure. She gets up before anybody else, before the sun comes up, just to kind of go out and be by herself, right? Because what happens when your hopes get dashed and your hopes get smashed, you don't want to leave that door open, right? You, you want some closure. You want to wrap that situation up and be done with it. And when she gets to the tomb, the body of Jesus is gone. One author I read this week said this, Mary went to the tomb hoping for some sad consolation of being able to complete the burial process. They weren't able to do it on Friday. It got too late, right? So she wanted to complete the burial process just to have some closure. But then seeing the empty tomb in her hopelessness, she felt like even that had been taken from her. What else 
What's left? It says this in John chapter 20, starting verse 11. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the foot. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And then she said back to them, well, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've laid him. Which, again, sometimes when we read the Bible, it's like you just kind of read it in like a robot voice. Like, like it's just this really nice, cool calm conversation. I read a commentary this week that said that the tone and the language that Mary had in answering this why are you weeping question would have been one of anger and frustration. Kind of like, that's a stupid question. And maybe some of us have been in that space where, where someone goes, hey, why, why are you like this? That's a stupid question. That anger kind of wells up inside of you. Like, what do you, how can you even ask me that? The author said this, that not only was Mary grieving the loss of someone she cared for, but she was also grieving the loss of hope. And maybe like Mary, in in your mind, those tapes of hopelessness start to play. And we ask ourselves this, what difference does Easter make in my life when it comes to lost hope? I've got nothing. So that's Mary. The next guy, his name is Thomas. And Thomas has kind of got that look, right? It's kind of an intense look that wants to look right through you, right? It's an intense look that wants to stare right through you because he knows somewhere, somewhere in all of this, there's a catch, right? Thomas is the kind of guy that that the look he's got on his face and the way he kind of approaches the world is everything's probably too good to be true somewhere. So he's looking for that. He's looking for the catch. He's looking for the lie. He's looking for the moment, That somebody's going to betray him or somebody's going to, it's a bait and switch, right? And it doesn't take much, right, to to see when you read Thomas' story, he's kind of a glass half empty kind of guy. In writing about Thomas, one author says this, Thomas was guarded, skeptical, and pessimistic, right? He was always uncertain about his future, but somehow decided to give Jesus a shot in his life. And some of us can really understand a guy like Thomas, right? You don't let your guard down much. You don't let really anybody inside your defenses. You kind of keep everybody. You've got this really safe perimeter that you like to keep people out at, right? It's safer to kind of keep everybody at arm's length because that way you won't get hurt. Because if you don't do that, when you let your guard down and things don't work out, right, which eventually it all kind of does that, there's this message in our head that starts playing. says this, you can't trust anyone. You can't. You shouldn't, and you won't. See, unlike Mary, we don't see Thomas present at Jesus' death. We don't see Thomas present at Jesus' burial. Maybe Thomas was hiding out with the rest of Jesus' followers. They were afraid that the same thing that happened to Jesus would happen to them, so they just kind of hid out. He's not around, right, to hear the news of an empty tomb when that starts to spread. And one author says this, when it came to the mere possibility of the resurrection, Thomas was obstinate, and he was so certain of Jesus' death that he would not credit any report of Jesus' reappearance. Thomas insisted that he would not believe unless he could actually touch Jesus' body. We see this in John chapter 20, verse 25. Thomas, he says to them, unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails, and I place my finger into the marks of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. See, Mary lost hope. But Thomas, he lost trust, which he didn't have much to begin with. He lost what little bit of trust he had, but guess what? He also gained another wound. 
another one. And some of us know exactly what this feels like. We've said those same I will never statements before. It's definitive. There's no debate. It's not up for discussion. I will never fill in the blank. But here's the truth. Usually our I will never moments come from a place of deep hurt or deep betrayal, right? We get wounded. We drop our guard and we get hurt. They left. They didn't hold up their end of the deal. We both said, till death do us part. We stood up in front of our family and our friends, and we said, we're in this together, and they quit. Never again. I will never let myself get hurt like that again. Some of us walked in here on Easter Sunday carrying a wound that we didn't ask for, that we don't want. It's pain and betrayal that we don't deserve. And some of our wounds are the invisible kind that people can't see, but we still know they're real and they still hurt. And some of them are the kind we can see. And every time we see that scar or every time we see that moment, right, we're reminded of the painful moments in our lives by our actual scars. But regardless of the kinds of wounds that we have, we do our best to cover them up, right? We can still feel them because we know where they are. And underneath the plastic smile and the act that says, I'm fine, things are good, right, that canned answer when someone asks you how you're doing, we know we are hurt. And so we have to ask this question, what difference does Easter make when it comes to my wounds and my hurt? Our last guy we're going to look at, his name is Peter. And again, when you see Peter's eyes, this is, these are the eyes that, that really don't want to make eye contact. They kind of always look down at the ground because these are the eyes that are buried in shame. The eyes that, like, I don't want to look you in the eye because I don't think I'm worth it. I don't want to look up because, really, this is kind of where I lie. I just always look down on the ground because this is where I'm focused. That's where my life is. Peter, he compensated for all of this insecurity with this kind of brash confidence. See, Peter's plan when we first meet him was to take over the family fishing business, and he's kind of already got a head start in that. But then this Jesus guy comes around and sees something in Peter that really nobody else in Peter's life saw. And he turned Peter's whole life upside down when he invited Peter and some of his fishing buddies to be his disciples. People just didn't do that back then. Because of Jesus' call in his life, like this invitation that, that Peter received to follow him, right? Peter saw and took part in and experienced things that nobody else had. Which is why it came to a shock when Jesus told Peter that, that, that when it came, between the time that Jesus was going to be arrested and sentenced to death, Jesus tells Peter, like before the sun comes up, Peter, and the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny knowing me three times. And in all that insecurity, trying to compensate for that insecurity, check out what, what it says in Mark chapter 14. It says, Jesus said to them, the disciples, you're all going to fall away, for it's written that I'll strike the shepherd, that's Jesus talking about himself, and the sheep will be scattered. But Jesus says, after I'm raised up, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. But Peter stops him, which he did a lot. Like Peter interrupted Jesus a handful of times. It didn't ever really work out well for him, right? Peter stops him and says, hey, listen, even though they might fall away, I won't. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But again, Peter's like, no, 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 that ain't me, right? Here's the deal, Jesus. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the rest of the disciples, they say the same thing. We see how that turned out. And maybe some of, some of us in here, we can identify with Peter because 
even though there's this deep-seated insecurity within us, what we like to advertise to people is this, I'm built different. I will outwork and outlast anything that comes my way. Quit is not in me. I will succeed where all others have failed. What happens in our insecurity is we start to attach worth and value to success. And we believe that the only way that people are going to love us, accept us, and pay attention to us is we've got to prove to them that we're worth it and that we're worthy of it. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens. It doesn't matter what it costs or if it runs my life into the ground, we will not fail until we do. And either in those moments, when we fail, we look at our lives as like, well, that's it. I failed. Lost cause. I'm done. Or maybe some of us do this. When we fail, it's like we start to play the comparison game. Again, in our insecurity, we're just flailing and reaching for something that says, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But either in that insecurity, either we play the comparison game or we just check out. Why? Because our life is just a house of cards. One wrong move, one bad deal, one mess up, one mistake, one poor performance review, all those things, just one of those things away from, from all of this coming crashing down. Picks up in Mark 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 66. While Jesus' trial is happening in just the next room, it says this, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and saw Peter warming himself by a fire, and she looked at him and said, you were also with the Nazarene, Jesus. Check out what he says. He denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Peter says, I can neither confirm nor deny, right? that I know Jesus. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And that same servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this guy, Peter, he's one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders began to say to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you're a Galilean. You're from that part of the country where, where Jesus is from. But it says this, that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, right? Peter was a fisherman. There's a reason they say cuss is like a sailor, right? This is probably Peter's native tongue in some ways, right? He says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. I guess it probably came out a little different than that. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. The one thing Peter said he'd never do, he did. Not once, not twice, but three times. And maybe some of us walked in here on Easter Sunday, and in our insecurity, we've been walking this tightrope of a performance-driven life with no safety net. And even when it comes to church... Even when it comes to Jesus and our faith, it's not a relationship, it's rules and religion. That's the way we approach it. Like everything in our lives, life is mostly about surviving the pressure of doing everything right. It's about performing and trying to be perfect instead of entering into the process and the progress of training to become somebody better. And every day, we hope and pray that today isn't the day that all this falls apart. Today isn't the day that I get caught. Today isn't the day that I get found out for who I really am. Today isn't the day that I fail until that day comes. And all we've worked for and all we've built our lives on is gone in an instant. So the question is this, what difference does Easter make when it comes to all the times in my life that I have failed? And there's a point in all of this, right? When, when shame takes over, 
And we stop applying the things to our situations, and instead we start applying them to ourselves. These things, they're no longer situational statements, they're identity statements. For people like Mary, it's not that this feels hopeless, it's, it's I am hopeless. See the difference? For those like Thomas, it's not just that I have wounds or, or that I am hurt, it's I am wounded, I am hurt, I am angry. For those of us like Peter, it's not just that I have failed, but I am a failure. So what difference does Easter make for the hopeless, the hurt, and those who have failed? And here's the answer. Easter changes everything because Jesus changes everything. And that's the simple truth. Easter changes everything about hopelessness because Jesus changes everything about hopelessness. So where, we, where we left Mary, she was weeping outside of a tomb, right? Th- those tapes of hopelessness that she thought she'd never hear or never feel again, they were back. And then someone had the nerve to ask her, why are you crying? John chapter 20, verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And again, again, some of us, we know this. We're either blinded by the tears in our eyes, literally, or we are blinded by hopelessness, or probably it's a bit of both. Because there's no way, right? It happened again. There's no way that this could be real. And then Jesus said to her again, asked the same question, woman, why are you, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Again, just pause right here for a second. Mary isn't, at this moment, trying to think, how am I going to carry the lifeless body of a grown man from wherever it is to, to this tomb? She's just wanting some closure. And again, when we read the Bible, sometimes it comes across a little nicer than it sounds. And you can imagine Mary in that anger, in that hurt, in that frustration, in, in that, that grief, It's like, look, just tell me where he is, and I will figure it out. First, these guys ask me why I'm crying. Now the gardener is asking me why I'm crying. But catch this. Jesus said to her, Mary. Just said her name. I read this week that one of the strange, common places of life is that the most penetrating utterance one can hear and understand, no matter by whom it's spoken, is their name. And I think we overlook this. Because here's the deal. No one would have said Mary's name like Jesus. And in that moment, all she had to hear was her name, spoken by a risen and alive Jesus. And just the sound of her name cut through the hopelessness. And in the place where hope had died, It was now alive in her soul at just the sound of her name. It says this, she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabbani. And in this moment, one of the commentaries I read said that she would have fallen on the ground and grabbed a hold of Jesus' feet, right? Grabbed a hold of his ankles, right? Right at the top of his feet. See, her hands, right? They were empty. She had nothing. She had nothing to hang on to because hopelessness was gone. She was empty-handed until she heard her name spoken by a risen and alive Jesus. And now her hands are just full of who he is. And he says this, don't cling to me, which, is, which means this, hey, you don't have to hang on so tight. I'm not going anywhere. 
He says, I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say them. I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father. Game changer. It's not just Jesus' Father God anymore. It's your Father. I'm going to, to my God and also your God. And Mary Magdalene said that she went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. See, on Easter, Jesus put hopelessness to death and raised new hope to life. Mary, who had experienced the depths of hopelessness in her life, becomes the first hope bringer of Jesus' message. The first person to ever share the gospel was, was Mary, a, a former afflicted, possessed physical, spiritually, mentally ill person is the first person to share the gospel, the good news that Jesus isn't dead. Think about that for a second. Jesus qualifies unqualified people, right? He doesn't call people that are qualified. He qualifies those he calls. And the same opportunity is available to us today. Easter changes everything because Jesus changes everything. The hopeless can now become those who bring hope to everyone. Easter changes everything because Jesus changes everything about our wounds and our hurt. Again, we last left Thomas with this kind of I will never statement. Here's what it says, John chapter 20, verse 26. It says, eight days later, Jesus' disciples, they were inside again, and Thomas, this time, was actually with them. And it says, although the doors were locked, right, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then Jesus looks at Thomas. Somewhere Jesus had heard. Thomas, I know about the I will never statement. I know, what, I, I know what you said. And catch this. Those of us who try to hide our wounds, who are ashamed of those moments and those experiences in our life, catch what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't put Thomas to shame. He's so patient. He says this. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. The nail scars, the, the wounds in my hands. And then put your finger here and see, right, put out your hand and place it in my side. And then catch this, do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. For many of us, our wounds and our hurt remind us of our brokenness where the pieces of us and the parts of us had died. But for Jesus and Thomas, Jesus' wounds became the proof of healing and new life. Jesus doesn't ask us to hide our wounds because Jesus doesn't hide his own. The Bible tells us that Jesus' hands and his feet still bear the scars, right? His side still bears the scar of that wound. But those scars, instead of being the, the constant reminders of pain and suffering, they're now the symbol that death has been put to death by life. Easter changes everything because Jesus changes everything. The hurt and the wounded now become the living, breathing proof that new life is possible. And Easter changes everything because Jesus changes everything about our failures. You have to imagine. You have to imagine that, that Jesus' resurrection was like the best news ever for everybody except for Peter. Because Peter had failed his friend. Peter had failed his teacher, his Lord, right? While many of Jesus' followers stayed together, Peter left. He went back to fishing. I'm out of here. I don't want to face him. If it's true what they say, I, I don't want to face him because I failed him. And one morning, while, while Peter was hauling in an empty net, the Bible tells us, right, just another failure to add to the pile, someone started to shout to Peter from the shore. And the Bible tells us that when Peter realized that it was Jesus, because he couldn't wait for the boat to make it to shore, he jumped in and swam for it. Now, this is funny, because people back in this day, even though they were fishermen, they didn't really know how to swim. 
And so Peter jumps in and tries to swim, and the boat actually beats him to shore, which is just funny to me. I just think it's like the dude tried to get there faster, and actually the boat made it there before he did. And so he gets out of the, he gets out of the water, right, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is there and takes their catch and starts to cook them breakfast. And you can imagine Peter's probably waiting for the hammer to fall. Peter, I know what you did. Peter, I know where you failed. And it says this in John 21. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And that word for love is actually a word that means it's a choice word. See, we attach emotion to it. The word that Jesus uses is basically this. Peter, do you choose me? Do you choose me more than anybody? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I choose you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs, which is take care of. Take care of what's mine. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time he used a different word. This was the the word for like brotherly love. Do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says this, that Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, again, Peter probably is thinking in that moment, in his shame and in his insecurity, right? He keeps asking me this because he's not sure. So what do I need to do to prove it to him? What do I need to do to prove it to Jesus that I really mean what I say? How many of us have felt that, right? The reason you continue to ask me this is because you don't believe me. You're not sure. So what do I need to do? Tell me what the cost is. Tell me what price I need to pay. Jesus asked him, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. So think back to that moment in the courtyard. How many times did Peter fail and do the thing that he said he would never do? Three times. And how many times does Jesus restore him? Three times. Jesus restored Peter from failure to friend. See, Easter changes everything because Jesus changes everything. Every failure can now become a from now on. For every time you have failed in your life, Jesus meets you in that place, not the place of I've put my life back together, but in the place and in the wreckage and in the fallout of your failure. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you another chance. Do you love me? Then let's do this. Every time you failed in your life, Jesus meets you in that place. For every failure, Jesus gives you a chance to say from now on. So we go back to the question we asked to start. What difference does Easter make in our lives? Here's the truth. It changes everything. Because Jesus changes everything. Those who were once hopeless become the hopeful hope bringers to the hopeless. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do something like that. Those who were once the the, the hurt, right, those who were once hurt and angry become the healers to those who are hurt. Only Jesus can do that. Those who were once failures can can become the from now on friends of God to those who have failed. Only Jesus can do that. And so this morning, as I was writing this this week, there's just this thought that was in the back of my mind that wouldn't go away. 
And it kept repeating this kind of message. And finally I had to go, you know, I don't want to over-spiritualize stuff. In fact, most of the time maybe I under-spiritualize things to a fault. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I took my meds today. I don't know where this is coming from, right? But there's this, this thought just kept repeating in the back of my brain. It was, Brad, if, if they're ready, we need to be ready. If they're ready, you need to be ready. If they're ready, be ready. And so today we're ready. The baptistry is open. It's full of water. The water's warm. If today you want to become someone who was once hopeless, but is now filled with hope to bring hope to those who are hopeless, today you can make that decision. If today you want to move from being those who are hurt to those who are healed, but then bring healing to the hurt, you can make that decision today. If you're ready, we're ready. If today, all of the failure in your life has all but crushed you, and you want to put a stake in the ground and say, from now on, to return to being a friend of God and to be a friend to those who have failed. If you're ready, we're ready. You can make that decision today. You can make that decision today. The baptistry is open. And here's what baptism is all about. Today, we celebrate the resurrection, the, 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 the rising of Jesus from death to life. And in baptism, it's symbolic. It's, it's, an, outward, it's an outward way. It's a, it's a public declaration of a personal decision to say, I'm ready to trust Jesus. Because in my hopelessness, I need that. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can bring hope to my hopelessness. Only Jesus can bring healing to my hurt. And only Jesus can bring friendship to my failure. I need that. Baptism, what that symbolizes, as we sit above the water, it represents the old us. The us that was hopeless, the, the us that was hurt, the us that had failed. And as we're put below the water, that dies. The old us is no more. And as we are raised up out of the water, just like Jesus walked out of a grave, we are raised into new life. That's not magic water. Literally, I filled it up from a hose backstage yesterday. What makes that change in you isn't water, it's Jesus. That's just a way to make it public. Jesus did it, and so in submission and obedience, we do the same thing. Jesus was baptized, we get baptized. It's just like, like a wedding ring. It's just like those, those symbols of covenant, right? It's something on the outside for people to see, look, I am not who I once was. I'm a new creation. I put this old me to death, and I am raised to new life in Jesus. I'm telling you today, Easter makes this possible. And today, it is possible for you to move from hopelessness to hope, to move from hurt to healed, to move from failure to friend. It can happen, and if you're ready, we're ready. We got t-shirts, we got towels. You have to figure out the pants part, right? But you already did that once this morning, so you're good. But we're ready if you're ready. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to play a couple songs. If today you need prayer, we've got some people that would love to meet you down front over here by the cross. If you, need, if you just need someone to pray with you, they would love to meet with you and pray with you. If you need someone, if you want to talk about what, what it looks like to join this church, to be a part of this family at Adventure, we're a mess, but we, we trust Jesus. But if today you want to make a decision for Christ, all you got to do is walk around this curtain and meet me backstage. And you can hop in warm water. 
today can be the day. Easter changes everything because Jesus changes everything. Band's going to play a couple songs. If you need to make a decision, if you need to make a move in this moment, here's what I'm telling you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Why wait? Why carry all the stuff that you carried in today into Monday? Why? Why, if tomorrow, just like Jesus' disciples, just like people like Mary and Thomas and Peter, that Monday after Easter was a day, their first day, their first full day of life in Jesus' kingdom as new creations, no longer fearful of hopelessness, no longer fearing hurt, no longer fearing failure or death. Why? Because Jesus beat both. He beat sin. He beat death. He left them in the grave so that you can step into new life. Why wait? If you're ready, we're ready. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And today we are so grateful that Easter changes everything because you change everything. So Jesus, I pray in this room that as we go out of this place today to brunch, to the couch, to watch golf, wherever it is, that today would be a day we look back on and we say everything changed. Everything changed because of Jesus. Everything changed in my life. Jesus, that tomorrow wouldn't be like any other Monday we've ever experienced before in our lives because everything changed because of you. It's not because of anything we did. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't buy it. You You can't perfect your way into it. You just have to say, I need it. Jesus, you offer, us, you offer us a gift. Lord, today may we receive it. Jesus, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready for you to return. We're ready for you to be our king. We're ready for you to, to leave no doubt for every knee to bow and for every tongue to confess that you are the king of the universe. But today, Jesus, we get a chance to step into new life. We'll wait. We wait for that moment, right? But today we get a chance to step into new life. The with God life starts now. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.